Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, it certainly is. It's that time of the week where myself and Mark Schwartz like to try a bottle of red wine and then compare that wine to a player, past or present. We love our wine. But also this week, Mark, uh, it's, it's almost um, music t-shirt week uh, in, our, in our show. I mean, I didn't expect it, but you've rocked up in a, in a kiss shirt. I did. And, and I, I love the fact that you were, so, you were green with envy. And you disappeared for a moment. I actually thought you went to the toilet to do a number two. And I was calling out. I could hear you. And I thought, he's just left the door open. He's gone for a number two. Quick one. Not saying a word. But then, of course, you turn up and you've gone and put a shirt on as well, a T-shirt on as well, because you just felt so left out. But do you feel better about it now, though, when we're looking at each other? Just sort of, I don't know, it just suits... Yeah, I mean, I just I think it's quite hilarious that you're you're so jealous, and and normally you're the one that's wearing the the various different types of t-shirts, and and I outdid you this week, and and I think you feel a little bit, uh, I think you feel a little bit annoyed with yourself that you didn't yeah. up your game. No, I've let myself down. I was just wearing a nice black Arsenal uh, fleece, and I was like, well, that's why would you off the back of on the weekend? Seriously, well, that's can you not say that that's actually more respect that I'm wearing it today. Uh, you know, if anything, you know, that's sort of really planting my flag. Oh, or maybe it's a black one because you're in mourning. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now we've got so much to talk about and that is quite obviously going to be a pretty heavy focus. I reckon we might wait till we've had our half-time drinks uh, to get to that one. Uh, Mark, what wine are you going for today? Uh, I'm going for an Italian. So I'm going to stick to the Mediterranean. I'm just moving around a little bit more. Um, it's a Christian patat. Uh, wine, it's a, a passimento, it's called. Uh, it's a very, I like, I like my, I like the, yeah. you know, the, the, the labels pass, on them. What do you reckon a passimento uh, p- p- means? <laughs> <laughs> Easy for some to say, huh? Yeah, big time. I don't know, really. Um, all I'm going to say is that um, they're a small grower uh, mm-hmm. and they like to be able to share their passion and love for wine with the angels that's pretty cool isn't it uh, as like do it. we um yeah. and it's basically saying it starts off saying that they want to share their love with the their passion with it and their love of wine with the angels that they also um want to thank everyone for their support which is pretty amazing i've never read that on the back of a bottle of wine yeah. um and it says it says that the apasimento is made by drying red grapes which gives rich and juicy characters voluptuous and intense, it speaks of that beautiful Italian sunshine and pairs perfectly with hearty stews and roasted red meats. Oh, so it's right. Do, do most wines go through a drying of the grape process or do you, do you need to dry the grapes? I, or What do you think? I, I mean, I, 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 I didn't think so, did you? No, no. I just thought you'd go straight from the, uh, the grape to the squashing to the fermentation process, not a... That, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I maybe listen. To, uh, listen, any of the listeners out there know any differently? Please let yeah. us know. Well, I've also gone for an Italian red. I've taken uh, a trip to Little uh, yesterday afternoon before the Arsenal game. I thought, right, you know, we're in lockdown now, so I'll go to a supermarket and really stock up. And I've gone for a few nice reds to get me through the week. And I've gone, yet coincidentally with an Italian, I've gone for a Barolo, um, which is, it says, it's arguably Italy's most famous red wine or certainly the most famous grape. So it comes from the Nebbiolo grape, which I assume is then used uh, in, in most of the either well-known wines or, or certainly the better ones. But um, it's from the uh, Piemonte region, which, which now, if I'm not mistaken, is um, Juventus country, is it not? Because uh, on the current FIFA, they, uh, Juventus <laughs> don't have a deal with FIFA. 
Did you not know this? So they don't have a deal with FIFA, so they're not allowed to use the name. I knew there was a couple of clubs that don't, yeah. Yeah, and so they've gone with um, with Piemonte. So I assumed it was uh, within that region. Yeah. Mark, let's get stuck into the football, and I'm very excited for a few reasons because it's time for a new segment, but also uh, the time for a very new segment opener. Oh, far out. Uh, that's the bit I'm excited for the most, Mark. I think the segment itself could be a bit mediocre, but that intro, that was pretty impressive, wasn't it? You've been bombarding me in the last, yeah. well, last probably half an hour, an hour, just with your voice recordings yep. of that segment. And could to though. be fair, it was a bit, I, 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 had to, I had to listen to it about four or five times to firstly understand what you were saying. Really? Um, yeah. And then I think there was a bit of a chuckle, but not much more. Well, egg on your face, because I didn't even do it. I've hired a voice actor to do it. By voice Thank actor, you. I mean a, a mate of mine, who I know, who did, did it. And he's, and he's and not an so actor, but, you, you know. I, I, but, I mean, did you pay him to do it? No, of course I didn't. So you haven't really hired anyone, have you? Well, no. You've asked a favour. Yeah, gone, and he's pulled through, though. Work. I think it was, well, I thought it was pretty good, to be honest. So Yeah, no, you know. it's, it's, it's warming on me. Let's, I mean, listen, let's give it a couple of weeks and let's see where we go with it. So, oh, VAR out. I mean, it was the, for me at least, it was the storyline of the weekend in many respects. We've touched on it a few times and I've got a few examples that we need to dissect in particular. But before we actually go into the the nitty gritty and I'm sort of looking at my notes here, there's three major moments that were really prevalent over the weekend. But I just want to get your thoughts before we do that. What do we want to get out of VAR? And what are we actually getting from it currently? Because you heard a lot of the commentators saying, that's not why we want VAR. That's not what it's supposed to be there for. So can we define it? What do we want it for? And what do you feel like we're getting out of it? Okay, so what part of the weekend's decisions did you not like? What is the big question? What's the that, problem? Well, before we do that, that's what, I'm, that's what I mean. I want to just define what we think in general. What do we want? Oh. We want it to clear up mistakes is that right no clear up mistakes um well yeah part prevent. of its job is well no part of it yeah part of, part of it is to prevent part of it is to to check to make sure there are no clear and obvious mistakes being made yeah. by officials and yes there are going to be some times when it they're going to get it wrong the var even the var because we've, it's been proven time and time again over the many many years it's been used in other sports that they can still get decisions wrong um, what it does do, though, also, and, and this is probably the, the major complaint for everyone, is that the, the length of time it takes to come to decisions. That's going to improve. At the moment, it's frustrating. It's frustrating for so many people. The purists are all about goal celebrations and you can't really celebrate. Listen, it's just a, a period of adaption, change. People don't like change. It's a change. People are going to have to live with it. It's not going anywhere. It's staying. So you have to suck it up and understand the why, why it's being used and how it's being used. Yes, there's, there, there, are, there are reasons to say question various decisions. You'll never, ever take out doubt. You'll never, ever take out discussion over, over, over decisions that are made. Hopefully, though, it'll reduce the number of mistakes in the main, which I think it already do, has done. Um, and you'll have a clearer and a better understanding as time goes on why those decisions were made. And more importantly for me, is the consistency. So previously, one of the biggest complaints, and particularly when I was playing, uh, that I had for officials was the lack of consistency across the board. So if there was a rule that they've brought in and they've decided they're going to um, enforce that rule more strictly throughout the course of the season, in the first two, three months of the season, it was always, always enforced upon to the the the, the you know the nth degree of the law. And it was it was like every referee was very, very quick to, to penalise people, give yellow cards, give red cards, whatever it is. And then after the first three or four months, it would die off and it would get back to normality again almost. So hopefully VAR will bring consistency. And, and, and I think it's the best way of trying to get some consistency. Like the weekend's handballs decisions. The, the rules change slightly. Is it handball or not handball? If people say, well, it was a natural position his hand was in, for example and it's out on his side. When, when is the line drawn between a natural position and a not natural position? 
Do you know what I mean? Like players, players are clever. They'll, they'll, they'll see it. They'll understand. I got away with that one. Why did I get away with it? Because it deemed to be a natural position. Then you'll see every player sticking their hands out in that sort of position and it'll always be read as a natural position to make a block, which for me, it makes yourself bigger and therefore it's a handball, right? As harsh as it may be, it's a handball. Um, and, and I think the problem we've had as well with the VAR is that at times the, the decisions still haven't been consistent. So one week they'll give a penalty for a handball on, 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 a certain, on, a, on a certain incident and the next week they won't. But hopefully the VAR will reduce the number of inconsistent calls that are made. So it felt pretty consistent on the weekend and in particular with the two handballs. So we had Gomez's yep. handball leading to De Bruyne's awful shot, by the way. And I think there was some bizarre stat that we haven't had a off-target penalty in the Premier League since 2016 or something crazy, but it was a, not a great penalty uh, from him. But then also in the Wolves-Leicester game, it was a Kilman handball in the end. Very similar, though. That's why I think your, your point on consistency, when you kind of mirrored them, it was virtually the same. So where's the problem? You could argue, yeah, there's, there's always an argument to say, well, I don't believe it's handball. And I've heard that argument already this weekend. And that's fine. Have an opinion. That's what football's about, having difference of opinions. All I want is consistent calling. So if they deem that that's a handball, we'll call it every week as a handball. Don't change your mind. Don't say, well, actually, mm, the hand's a bit away. No, it wasn't, wasn't the same, so no, it's not. Give the same call every week if you can. That's what we want. I want. I want consistency. Forget about, forget about offsides. Forget about all that. For me, that's black and white. You, you know, the thing that the shoulder is, it, at the top of the shoulder is a goal-scoring part of your body. So if that part of the body is ahead and it's offside, it's offside. I don't care if it's one millimetre or if it's 10 metres. What's the difference? You're offside. There, has, there is a line drawn. So forget about that. That's, offside is offside. Goal, like the same as if the ball goes over the goal line entirely, it's a goal. And if it's one millimetre over, it's a goal. If it's one millimetre still in, on the line, then it's not a goal. So I, don't, I, I just don't get the debate. I, I, I think it's just ridiculous. I understand the complaints about the length of time it takes to get to it, but the actual debate about whether it's onside, offside, goal, goal or not a goal, I mean, even though that discussion doesn't happen anymore because everyone's conceded, yes, the goal line technology is a good thing. The biggest complaint with all of it is, I, I still feel is the length of time it takes to get to the decisions. And I have to agree with that. However, it's a new thing. It's going to take time and they are getting better at it. Give it it's time. that new though. Like, I mean, also you think about some of the other sports, and I don't know how much like cricket, for example, you watch, but the technology there that is virtually impossible to not get the right decision. And it's a completely different game, admittedly, right? I understand well, that. Well, no, still, there is also the umpire's call, isn't there? So there is an umpire's call yeah. where the ball's pitching yeah, uh, and, and it's in line and everything else. But and in terms of like a review, if you were to review a, a play, if you wanted like an LBW or if it was, you know, it's virtually impossible to, to not get the right deserving result, which I think okay. is frustrating. Yeah, I mean, some games, some sports, it's simpler to get the correct result. It's a bit like tennis as well. You know, they're tracking yeah. the ball. They are actually got, you know, the, the tracking devices. Limb tracking and so on will come into football. It's yeah. the technology that is being developed. And, and then it has to do with the type of cameras you use and the speed of the, the lenses and all sorts. That is coming into the game. So that's going to, incre- that's going to be increasing the decision-making, like, massively. So... I, I just think, you know, there's a lot of people out there, purists, who just don't want change. They want that old thing of go back to having the referee make a decision. The referee's going to get it wrong every now and then, and then they can lambast someone and blame someone for it, you know, and, and, that, and that creates debate in itself. I just think, and I've said it for forever, you know, when I was playing the game, referees and, and assistants need assistant. They all need assistant. They need the technologies there, give it to them. Football decided to create their own method, their own system, so therefore, they started from scratch. And then it's going to take time for it to perfect it. They didn't decide to take anything from cricket, rugby, all those other codes. They decided to create their own. So this is one of the reasons why it's going to take long. And then you've got to coach the guys. The guys need to train. They need to get, the more they do it, the better they'll get. Um, so that's why I'm saying it's new. It's only been the second season where we're using it in every game. So it is still a very new technology that they're using in the game. 
So then uh, the last point on, on VAR for the weekend that you, you touched on was offside decisions. And I, 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 tot- I actually totally agree with what, what you, you're saying about from that perspective. But the Patrick Bamford goal um, or disallowed goal against Crystal Palace surely must go against what you've just said then because he was offside because his arm was pointing to where he wanted the ball to go. And is the argument not, well, if the ball hit him on the arm, then that's handball. Okay, so therefore, he, he's not offside in a scoring position. There's nothing about him that... But it's not his hand, it was his shoulder. His shoulder, which is a goal score. You know, you've, got to, you've got to understand or know the rule in terms of the, the interpretation of the rule. Right. So it's, it, it, you're offside if any part of the body that is a goal scoring part yep. is offside. So the top of his shoulder was deemed to be offside. Yep. Not, it wasn't his hand or his elbow, which was, but they, he can't score with that. It's only a goal-scoring goal part of your body that is then deemed to be offside. Yep. And his was. Whether he was pointing or not pointing, it's regardless. It's offside. How, when, when do you start to interpret whether or not he was just pointing? So how can that be offside? It, there's a line now. We draw a line. The, the line from VAR in terms of offside is a virtual line that they, they draw. So for me, the line is, that's the decision. Any goal-scoring part beyond that is offside. If it's not, it's not. It's plain and simple. And I, I understand that people are upset because it takes time. It kind of takes a little bit away from the goal score, the goal being scored, everything else. Yeah, yeah, it does. But it's there to eliminate mistakes, or at least not totally, but like 99.9% of them. Um, the other interesting one was at Arsenal where Aston Villa scored in the opening minutes of the game. John McGinn scores and he smashes into the roof of the net. Every, everyone's offside except one player. And I, and I think it was Ross Barkley. And he ended up being right in the line of Burt Leno. So at the time, I was at the game and I watched at normal speed. And I thought, wow, what a, what a goal. Brilliant goal. Leno, no chance, right? Then you see the replay. And then they show it being reviewed and you see the replays and you go, in my opinion, it's the correct decision. That sort of decision in the past, and I've been in that very position myself, where players have actually influenced my view of a game, of a goal, of a strike. The ball's gone in, and actually, for me, it's been where balls have gone in right next to you or near you that you have seen so late you haven't been able to react. So you look stupid because it goes really close to you, but you can't see it because someone's standing right in front of you. I would say eight times out of ten, seven times out of ten, the referee would not give that in an, if he was refereeing the game himself. Yeah. That's one of the last things he's even bothered about looking at. With the VAR, it allows them to, to, to utilize the rules. It allows them to now review every aspect of it. And for me, that is 100% the correct decision. What did you make of that segment, Mark? Oh, VAR out. Do you, what do you reckon? A, re- a recurring one or only whip it out when we desperately need it to? Well, I mean, listen, I, I like it. I, I actually yeah. do like it. I'm, su- I'm surprising myself and I'm probably surprising you. And I think the fact is that we don't just need to use it for VAR decisions. No. What? Yeah. Just things that we're not happy because, with. Because that would be a very annoying uh, segment to have that all you went on about every week is about VAR. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if we really took what you've said into consideration, you've fixed VAR within seven minutes. You know, you've, you've sort of done. So... Oh. Yeah, I mean, thanks for saying that. I thought that very much in my own head. That was the I case. You, I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, I just want to uh, pick your brains a little bit now uh, before we have some halftime drinks about uh, a bit of a Mark Schwartz team special. So just a little bit of an update as to a few of the to the teams that you've, you've played with. But there's a few questions I, I want to get off my chest. The big one being Leicester City. Uh, great win against Wolverhampton. Vardy has now scored with, against every uh, current crop of Premier League teams, which is surprising he's not scored against Wolves. I, I don't know. I feel like so he that, puts, that puts him on a par with Robert Lewandowski, who's scored against every Amazing. team in the Bundesliga. He, what do you reckon? Easier? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. What is easier, though? Scoring? I think it's more impressive for Vardy, no? I think it's way more impressive. Um, to be at Leicester yeah. City... And then play against, you know, you've got seven or eight really, really genuinely world-class teams every year, you know, as opposed to, you know, sort of taking on maybe, what, three or four really good sides in the Bundesliga? No, no, I agree with you. Absolutely. No, no, no. Listen, it's impressive to be able to score against every side. I mean, how impressive is it? 
what, what that tells you is they're prolific. Yeah. It tells you that they're scoring lots of goals, of course. Um, you know, and, and for Jamie Vardy to have started his Premier League career so late, to have accomplished it so quickly, really, I think yeah. it's even more impressive. Um, and that is the fact that he scored, what, eight goals in seven games already this season. He just keeps scoring. He just knows how to find the back of the net. He just knows he plays to his strengths. His teammates play to his strengths. The, the team is set up perfectly for a Jamie Vardy. And I think particularly on the weekend against Wolves, Leicester reverted back to a little bit of their old style in terms of, yeah. you know, knocking the ball in the channel at times, getting Jamie Vardy to run on it, you know, playing to his real strengths. And, that, and that's what they need to do. So this week's question is, and I get the feeling this is um, this is an episode of segments which I'm really enjoying. Just um, you know, I think it, I think we just try a few segments out, see what's sick to the wall. But the question for everyone out there, but the question for you now is, what do Leicester have to do to be permanently considered a big six side or a big seven? You know, if we add them into the list, or a big six if a team like an Arsenal or a sort of Man United consistently drops out for the next two or three seasons? What do they have to do to be forever considered? Or are they already there? Uh, no, they're not there yet. Um, they're a threat. They're a major threat. That's what they're considered as, in my opinion. Um, what will they be considered to be a genuine top four team is to finish year after year in the top four. You know, so Spurs, how long do you think before we're... Well, look, look, look at Spurs. What did Spurs do it? Four, three, four, five times in a row, possibly? Yeah. And they're no longer considered a genuine top four team. Mm. You know, they're there or thereabouts. They're a team that could end up in the top four or could just miss out. You know, so um, who are the teams that, you know, look, Manchester City and Liverpool are really the only two teams at this moment in time, the two clubs at this moment in time, where you would say are guaranteed top four mm-hmm. teams. And, and they're, two, they're the two clubs that have last what, won the Premier League title. So yep. I think you've got to either do an Arsenal, finish silly amounts of years, one after another in the top four to be genuinely seen as a, as, as a consistently, you know, consistent top four finisher. Um, or you've got to be winning the Premier League, you know, and, and, and finishing second like Liverpool did year after year and, 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 uh, and be classed as a side that, that uh, is a genuine top four and, and you can't really think of them anywhere else, finishing anywhere else other than in the top four. What would you say then to win the Premier League once every five years if you do that three times? So over the course well, of 15 years, you, you win it three times. Yeah, but then you become a, a team over a certain cycle that yeah. you, you end up going through various cycles of then finishing in the top, top four and winning the Premier League. It depends on that, in those, those barren years of not winning the Premier League. Have you finished in the top four during those periods of time? True. Or have you dropped out completely? I mean, Leicester City, for example, look at last season. They were for so long on everyone's sheet of finishing in the top four. And then the last, whatever, last third of the season, they, they completely, you know, uh, fell apart in terms of finishing in that top, you know, Champions League positions. So that, that kind of harms, in inverted commas, their reputation of being a top four team because they fell away so badly. So you, we'll all look at it and go, you know, Leicester started brilliantly. They also started brilliantly last season. Up until Christmas, they were generally considered as maybe the only team that could challenge Liverpool mm-hmm. uh, for the Premier League title. Then they fell away. And then it became, no one can challenge Liverpool because Liverpool are far too good. So, you know, the jury will be still be out. And even if Leicester is still there around Christmas time, the jury's still out because do, of last season. Do they have it in them? I, listen, you, you know, we know 2016. And, and the 2016 team is not as good man for man as the team is now. That, that goes without saying, in my opinion. The, the, really? the, 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 the Leicester City side now is a better side man for man. But that doesn't mean you're going to win the title. No. You know, one, one could argue, Liverpool fans are going to get upset again, that Manchester City, man for man, are the best team in the country. Man for man. Size of the squad and everything else. But then Liverpool's first 11 compared to Manchester City's first 11, it's very, very even. Because last season, Liverpool won it by a, by a, by a huge margin. The season before... Obviously, only lost it by one, but the two of them performed incredibly well. Just Manchester City 
well, that one point better, that's it. I've got a really interesting question for you. Have you ever been successfully and unsuccessfully, by that it can be, which it'll make more sense when, when I say the full question, actually, but have you ever successfully or unsuccessfully been penanked? Uh In a game, no. Haven't been. No, um, no one's so- attempted? Uh, not, I, I don't think so. I mean, someone will probably find some footage somewhere. Um, I don't think so. I, I can't remember in a Premier League match someone penanking me from the spot. I mean, in a game, you know, you've been dinked and chipped over and stuff like that, but it actually from the penalty spot, I don't think I have been. So what do you make of old Lookman? Oh, dear. It's, it's that, classic, that classic moment of you either... People talk about, you know, the gall, the the bravery, you know, the, the 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 you know to be able to step up at a game where you're losing one nil and Panenka the goalkeeper and score. To hap- what what happens as it happened to to, to Lookman and, and he's being lambasted, and that's the danger of trying to be too clever. Why though? Like what? Like what a weird game. Anyway, you're sort of assuming by the you know at least the 85th minute that the points are going to be shared. We then see West Ham go ahead, and then to be literally given an opportunity to you know to and let's not let's not forget as well. West Ham are looking pretty decent this season. They're currently sitting in 12th spot. So for Fulham, you know who are just by a point outside the relegation zone at the moment, to be given an opportunity to get a point against a good side, mate, you close your eyes, you hope for the best, and you run in with your life and kick that ball. I don't understand for the life of me why he's actually even taking it. He's a young kid um, who's hardly played a game in the Premier League to step up and take a penalty in a 1-0 situation where you need to get yourself back into the game. I don't understand why there wasn't anyone else on that pitch that was brave enough to step up and go, you know what? No, I'm going to take this. Um, But obviously, once you're given that responsibility or take that responsibility... You've got to own it. And obviously, he didn't own it. And it's a very, very, very harsh lesson for him. And unfortunately, it could be a lesson um, and a moment uh, where it's going to, to haunt him and, and Fulham for the rest of the season. The only thing I'd say is, I mean, Fulham's survival in the Premier League is not going to hinder just in that one moment. No. But what it could have done was it could have created a bit of momentum and confidence. Um, and, and it's about getting runs together, building little runs together. and. Unfortunately for for Fulham and Lookman, it, it, it's just another you know that, that that another kick in the teeth, another slight you know uh, tap on the nail in that coffin already. Do you think uh, as well as you touched on the reason why he took it? Do you think that speaks volumes as to where they're at that he's taking it and he's doing it like that, as opposed to I mean literally pick any other side. But you know, like for example, when Jamie Vardy took his penalty on the weekend. You just go, you know what's going to happen, you know, unless something crazy happens. But someone who can really step up for his side. Yeah, listen, if like Jamie Vardy stepped up and took the penalty, right? So he misses the second one. Yep. No one's criticising him for missing it. No one's criticising Kevin De Bruyne for missing the penalty against Liverpool because there was an element of seriousness to it. You know, they went for it. Um, You know, with with, uh, Jamie Vardy... um, it was a decent save from the goalkeeper. You know, with, with Kevin, he just, he dragged it too far wide. I mean, he set the keep, Alisson went the other way and, 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 and De Bruyne missed the goal. I mean, the, the only fault is that he's, he's missed the target. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like yeah. he's tried to be clever and not that he's tried to, you know, to be cheeky. Whatever he's done, you know, he's done it in the most professional and, and, and honest way. Um, and that, that's where there's no, there's very little opportunity to criticise. But when you look at Lookman, and the look at the way he took that penalty, you just open yourself up completely for criticism. I mean, what I don't understand is you've got Tom County, the captain, you've got Mitrovic, who I would think those yeah. two. I, I, I don't understand why neither of those two actually handed it, you know, put their hand up. Ruben Loftus cheek, you know, he's another young guy, but he's got a lot more Premier League experience. Maybe he wasn't up for it. Maybe he didn't fancy it. I don't know. I just don't understand why um, 
why uh, Lookman stood up and took it. I don't, I don't get it. Won't be long, I promise. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search The Gegen Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D, The Gegen Pod. Okay, back to Two Sharp Reds. Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. Mark, we're in lockdown here in the UK. It's a little bit different to the first lockdown, of course, but yeah, nonetheless, we're still very much in lockdown. So it's important to be getting, you know, hobbies, trying to other, you know, other hobbies than just tasting red wine, which, you know, at the moment I'm doing a very good job of. Um, but I'd like to, to dedicate maybe this time most weeks, certainly within, within quarantine time, um, to just talk about some of the things we, we you know, trying to, keep occupied by um we we know last week i touched on i got my electric drums and i've been learning a few hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Motley Crue songs that I'm going to hopefully by the end of lockdown have a, you know, a few really good songs up my sleeve. Um, but keeping sort of in touch with you throughout the week, gardening seems to be a big thing for you. Now, you've got a little bit of land, you've got a little bit of some good soil to work with. You're great with soil. Um, you, you've got a very green thumb. But how's it been going? Yeah, good, mate. Oh, I've yeah. enjoyed it. Lockdown has, you know, for, for so, like so many other people, it's giving you an opportunity to slow down, um, to spend a bit of time outdoors if, you, if you've got the opportunity. And like you said, I'm fortunate. I've got enough space to go outside. I've got dogs, so I spend a lot of time outside with them, um, just plodding around in the garden. I've got lots of fruit trees. I've got a big veggie area, veggie patch area. And over the years, I've been wanting to build a little veggie patch. Like, well, I've had it all cordoned off, fenced off, covered up, but I really haven't devoted enough time to it. Whereas the previous, the first lockdown gave me loads and loads of time to get out there and 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 get stuff going. So yeah, no, I've I've had a pretty successful summer in terms of summer growing season. Yep. Lots of nice cabbage, potatoes, carrots. Well, uh, give me I the think, list, other than those three. What what, what have we got in the uh, veggie patch? Garlic. So I I planted about sixty odd bulbs of garlic. Wow. So which then all produced obviously full heads of full bulbs of garlic. So we're garlic, talking yeah. or heads of garlic. So I've got a big hessian bag full of garlic. Uh, one of the other things that was incredibly productive for me was the butternut squash, um, right. which we had a butternut squash soup the other day and it was absolutely delicious. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, so it's been fun. And so I've been out there and I've put a lot, quite a lot of uh, um, winter crops out there. So I've got mm-hmm. some cabbage, beetroot, uh, planted some more garlic, got some uh, red onions out there as well. So um, put a lot of stuff out there. My, I've got also, I planted asparagus over, over okay. the summer. So the asparagus is one of those ones that can last for 20, 30 years, can keep reproducing, but it takes about three years before you can start taking in the crop. So, yep. yeah, no, it's been, been fun, mate. I've enjoyed it. Hey, Mark, um, last night before I went to bed, I was left in a, a really good mood. Um, you know, I had some good dreams. You know, I was just, it was just really easy to drift off because we had a phone call and it's always nice to you know, hear your voice before I go to bed. It's much like you know, getting a bedtime story. Um, we, we just needed to debrief. Um, and I wanted to save most of it for this chat, but you, you were at the Emirates last night. Um, flat. I'm feeling flat, but you know what? Let's just pretend for a second that I'm not an Arsenal fan so we can be neutral because, oh, my word, Aston Villa, when they get going, what, what impressed me is that, as, as you said, we've, we've had the um, McGinn chalked out goal right from the word go anyway. So they were ready to go, which I was really impressed with. But then they... They so perfectly stood off like you would imagine a Villa side would have to do when going to Arsenal. But then when they wanted to, like not even counter-attack. Like Watkins at the end there, bang, bang, no worries. Like it was just, they were so impressive. They had a really good game plan. Um, first and foremost, any team, you know, whenever you're playing against the better teams, the bigger teams, you've got to work hard. They, they, I mean, even the big teams, they have to work hard. Arsenal didn't work hard, so they came undone. They didn't approach the game in the right manner. All the things that Villa did, Arsenal were very poor at. 
So, and they're the basics of putting in a, a good performance, working hard, um, you know, being the right frame, um, say, right frame of mind on the front foot. Villa rolled their sleeves up. You know, talk about Jack Grealish and uh, an immense footballer, huge talent. But Jizzy works hard as well. Yeah. Um, John McGinn, you know, Trezeguet, um, you know, you, you look at the way they played, Ollie Watkins, they work their, their, their socks off. And there's, there's I mean, I, I mentioned those players who, who, of course, stood out and were heavily involved in the goals, but you, you also look at the whole team all the way through. Everybody played really, really well and did their job and they nullified Arsenal completely. They bullied Arsenal. They were, 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 were first in every department. So in many ways, we've seen a lot of improvement for Arsenal. And, and that, is, that is, I think, a, a pretty fair enough statement. But it's just a lack of, one, consistency, obviously. But, you know, sort of hearing from a lot of Arsenal fans and, you know, being in a lot of fan groups that I'm in, you know, on social media, the big concern is people going, well, even under Emery, which people were not happy with, you know, certainly towards the end, that there were a lot more chances being created. You know, there was still a, an edge of creativity whilst not working. There was a desire, in a sense. With, under Arteta at the moment, though, I mean, you keep... Aubameyang hardly featured. Yeah, but hang on, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, you know, you're, talking like a, you're talking like an Arsenal fan now, right? You, you are an Arsenal fan. No, but that's, that is true. Last week, last week, in. last... Listen, last week, they were the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. They went to Correct. Old Trafford and 1-1-0. Correct. How can you go from that... To this week, because we've lost three nil at home to Aston Villa. They're not. They're not creative. They're They're not. But we only comparing. (laughs) You're comparing to Emery. Come on, don't be that typical Arsenal fan or football fan that slaughters their team and their manager after one bad result. Keep in mind, against Manchester United, it was a lucky penalty that Arsenal got. That was a penalty. No, 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 no. It was 100 percent a penalty. But we're, other we're than lucky. that, no, no, no. But we were, no, we were lucky that it happened. Not, not. It was lucky penalty. We were no, lucky that it well, came along. No, because otherwise no, chances you, weren't being created. Yeah, but you were. Yeah, listen, lucky. How is it lucky? You were lucky that you're in their eight yard box. Yes. Were you lucky? <laughs> At were you the moment, lucky, it seems that way. <laughs> were you lucky to even be in the other opposition's half? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no, I'm saying that, that, that if that didn't happen, if if Bellerin wasn't clipped. I don't think Arsenal would have scored in that game. So you go two games in a row, not scoring, but then on the other hand, defending so poorly is worrying. Yeah, but I just don't think you, you, you know, you could look back at every single game played and go, geez, he's lucky he made that run. Geez, he's lucky that he turned inside and the defender. Do you not think slipped. that's true? It, it, they are lucky that, that, that opportunity arose because it didn't oh, look like they why were is anyone score. even training and playing football? Because it's just all about luck anyway. Why you just it, go on the slot machine, playing the slot machine every week. Then even in the Europa League, bloody three of their goals were scored with own oh, goals. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, mate, I, oh, what a typical football fan! Seriously. Hey, Mark, we're going into an international break now, so I'm very excited um, for next week's episode. We're not going to go into it too much, but we will have a special guest on, I'm sure. Um, we're just squirreling that away now. But uh, got me thinking, international break, a few things I want to just talk about. Not so much with a few of the teams that we're going to see. I don't want to talk about that because I want to talk about our boys and our girls, the Socceroos and the Matildas. A couple of things for you. Um, I guess I want to know... Because now you, I suppose you're more of a fan of the national team, right? You're in that. You're one of us. You're in that group. Yeah. Are we in almost a bit of a rebuild, or are we neutral, or are we? It just feels like, sort of, sort of after the golden generation, there was that feeling of okay, we might not be as good, but you know, we're not going back to square one. But it kind of feels like we're in a bit of a rebuild at the moment, or is that too harsh? I think post. 2006, um, we, 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 we dropped off a little bit, um, obviously managed to qualify for the 2010 World Cup, did incredibly well in that whole campaign to qualify. Obviously, we had one bad result at that World Cup that cost us. Same points as 2006, but goal difference killed us. Um, 2014, you know, you were qualified through the normal path. The World Cup itself, because it was a, a new manager and a, and a very young, inexperienced squad, people gave him a lot of a lot of leeway. 
Mm-hmm. And there were some moments of exciting football being played, even though we lost all three games and considered minimum three goals in each game. But, but people were optimistic because of the style of football that Ange Postecoglou was trying to introduce. Six months after that, 2011, 11, am I right? 2015, they win the Asian Cup. So that became kind of a, it was a, a little bit of a dip in term in some ways and then a little bit of a rise in winning the Asian Cup. Since then, we've dropped off quite significantly. Scraped through qualifying for the 2018 World Cup. And again, uh, unfortunately, you know, really underperformed at the World Cup in, in Russia and probably highlighted a number of issues that haven't been addressed. Maybe that's one of the reasons why Ange moved on because he felt that he couldn't get any more out of the team than what he did in 2015 winning the Asian Cup. Um, and, uh, and, and, and hence the reason why there was criticism and, and he probably thought, you know what, this is only going to get worse before it gets any better because we just don't have the personnel at this moment in time to go out there and, and, and really compete. Um, and particularly for the expectation that's around. So the answer to the question is yes, of course, we're, we're, we're in a big rebuild. Uh, there's no doubt about it at all. You know, we've kind of, during this last six months, we've had a change again. You know, Aaron Moy leaving the, uh, the Premier League to go to the Chinese Super League. Aaron's been one of our main players in the midfield and I think was kind of, Looked at, looked upon as being that player that's going to lead, you know, carry the baton on for for a couple of more years yet at the highest level. That's the benchmark. Now we've only got Matty Ryan at that highest level. If he's and, been picked, that is. Well, yeah. So I mean, back of the team on the weekend, which was great news uh, for Matty and great news for the Socceroos. But there's obviously uncertainty around his position at the moment. So we could be potentially within a very short period of time having no players in some of like in the top two or three leagues in the world. And yeah. that that is a big that's a big worry for me. And I think from a fan as well, remember that there were so many moments of shining lights for the future, and particularly in that Asian Cup, we're thinking Massimo Luongo, we're thinking Hello, he's you know, he's gonna be our golden child. Hasn't really worked out from him in England. Arzani, a little bit too early to tell, but certainly we're thinking, you know, here we go, but it's already you're starting to see, or maybe maybe this probably isn't going to be, you know, as great as we once hoped and thought. Yeah, no, absolutely, you're right. Uh, Luongo, yeah, really, really disappointing that it, he hasn't been able to flourish. He hasn't been able to go on to another level. Yeah, so for Daniel Azani, I feel for him. You know, he was at Celtic, uh, sustained the knee injury um, really, really early on, so never got an opportunity really to to get his foot, get his foothold in, the, in an opportunity to play in the team. Um, so he's been behind the eight ball. You know, coming back now, he, he's been on the outer. So he's moved to, to Holland, to Utrecht. And at the moment, he's, he's coming off the bench. So hopefully there are, that's a sign of things to come. Hopefully he'll get opportunities to play more regularly. Starting, starting lineup uh, of Utrecht, hopefully. I, I've always said right from the beginning when he came over, I thought that the move to go to Celtic was not necessarily the best move for him. I, th- I always felt that anyone with that sort of technical ability like his, I kind of refer him a little bit, compare him a little bit to a Janino type. Janino left Middlesbrough and went to Celtic, hardly playing. Um, it's just not the style of football, I think, that fits in well necessarily with the way that they play up in Scotland, particularly with, with Celtic. So I always thought that, Azani going to somewhere like Holland was better suited for him because of the technical aspect of it. Um, and, and hopefully now he gets an opportunity. Hopefully now he play, gets more opportunities to play week in, week out. And if he can get con- consistent games under his belt, I've got no doubt he can, he can be a success. Now, we touched on Matty Ryan before, who is undoubtedly our number one in the national side. But if we, you know, just hypothetically over the course of the rest of this Premier League season, if he continues to be dropped, maybe even goes on a run of not playing, or if he moves on at the end of the year, is it time to start maybe having a think about getting friend of the show and our man in Mitch Langrak involved? Because he's keeping clean sheets for fun in Japan. I understand there's a difference, but he's still doing it and he's doing really well. Yeah, listen, there is a big difference. You know, we're talking about Manny Ryan playing in one of, if not the best league in the world, right? So, yeah, and, 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 and there's an argument to say, well, you know, if he's not playing, he's not playing. And then you look at, okay, who's the next best informed goalkeeper? We're talking about the goalkeeper position. At the moment, Manny is, is as good as playing every week. So you miss one game, he was left out one game, but now back in the side. So we go from that point onwards. 
if he doesn't, if he then does get dropped and he's out of the side for a, for a, for a certain length of time, you know, listen, there's no international matches until March at the yep. earliest. So he's got time. If the worst case was to happen and he misses out for the next two months of playing, for whatever reason, say he gets injured, whatever, there's no reason to say that come March he's not back in the team playing and then therefore still in the best position to claim still being number one and to, to put his name forward to be number one. However, Mitch Langerat is playing very, very well. You can only play up to the level that you're playing at, the league and the standard that you're playing at, but he is playing very, very well and arguably probably playing the best, for, best, best football in his whole career. Uh, there's Denny Vukovic, who's been doing well in, in Belgium as well. So there is pressure, but you want that. You want competition. I think the goalkeeping position, like it has been forever with a national team, is probably the one position that has consistently over the 20 years been a real, a real uh, competition for the position. Yeah. Consistently, consistently over 20 years I'm talking about. And I think the goalkeeping position, if not, if probably even longer. So we've always had a pretty large selection of good, very good goalkeepers to choose from. So that is a kind of position I'm not that worried about because yeah. we've always produced really good goalkeepers. It's other aspects. And, and one, of the, one of the positions that were hugely highlighted was the World Cup, is, is, at the World Cup, was, was the number nine position. Yeah. And that's where we're, we're struggling a bit. Mark, um, a couple of more questions for you regarding international football. Very serious one for you. So I want to get your, your, your serious cap on. Uh, favourite soccer is Jersey. Because I've been having a look on Depop and eBay, keeping you know, just keeping across it because I realise I don't have one, which doesn't worry me too much because we're not playing games at the moment. But when we are, I need to be wearing a top. I, it's just a weird thing that I've got. You know, it's like you're not a real fan if you don't have any gear on. Uh, so I've been having a look, a look at some absolute rippers. Can you have you got any that comes to mind as a, f- a firm favourite? I've got two. So. The one, my favourite, my ultimate favourite because of, I just find it pure class. Yeah. It's classic and class. Was the Adidas, yeah. the, the three stripes, the collared shirt. I've got one actually. It's, you know, the, the, the gold colour, green. It's amazing. It's amazing to wear and it's amazing, amazing look for me. It's clean. It's classic. It's beautiful. And then if I wanted to go, if I was going to wear a kind of, iconic shirt the one that stands out for me and and it's 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 one of those it's 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 vegemite it's you either love it or you hate it you know which i'm talking about 1993 spew jersey i would assume yeah that's mine it's king room it's so good yeah i i actually don't have one of those shirts um I did make my debut, full debut in the national team. Uh, sorry, my, my, my debut, yeah, my debut in the national team when I came off Robbie Zabika uh, in Canada, Edmonton, yep. uh, back in 93. And I was wearing a King Roo goalkeeping jersey. And that was the last time the Socceroos played in a King Roo shirt. And I don't know where it is. I don't know what happened to it. What? Um, Your debut shirt? Yeah, I don't know what's happened oh, to it. Oh, mate. Whereas the shirt that I actually made my full debut, de- debut in, which was the games, the, the second league against Canada with the penalty shootout, I, I have that shirt. Okay. That's okay then. I'll, I know, well, but, but I, I, I do regret not having the King Roo one. I, I mean, mine was always going to be 1993, but with that, it, it, I mean, it's pretty boring, but the 19, uh, 2019 Matilda's version, you know, I mean, it was just as a bit different, clearly modernised, yeah. but it was, you know, refreshing because I felt like we were coming off the back of a, a string of some pretty pedestrian choices. Yeah. I so, I wasn't... I, I, the Matilda's one, I, I didn't mind it, but I just thought they tried too hard to replicate replicate yeah. the, the 93 King Roo one. I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I, I've seen in the times I was playing for the national team and even again at the Women's World Cup, the Men's World Cup, you see every now and then that King Roo 93 yeah. shirt. <laughs> and it just, for me, it is amazing. I, I love it. Uh, and Mark, lastly, just on the international break, something I've been really curious about for a little while now, um, and I think you're a good person to, to give us an insight. Let's say, for example, I think probably the best case that you would have experience this would have been possibly at Chelsea so you weren't in the national team anymore but you're in in an environment where I'm assuming possibly 90% of the players at Chelsea would have been called up in an international break certainly close to around that 
What does is, what is training look like in that period? Because in my head, it's like just a PE class where, you know, it, there's something big happening on at the school. So most, most of the kids in the class aren't there. And so it's just a bit of, oh, hands up, who wants to play a game of football? <laughs> uh, my, my, my first international break, I'll never forget it. Um, because obviously I just retired and um, I'd never never experienced it because well very rarely experienced it. So like you said, like most of the time I was away for the national team. So international break at Chelsea, and I thought yeah, there'd be five, six, seven, eight players while well, still around, whatever. Turn up to training. There is me and John Terry. That's no it. No way. That's it. Every single other player was out on international duty. So like we're talking 25, 26 players in the squad. Yeah. So we're talking like there were two of us left. So we, we trained with the 21s, the under 21s. Uh, Joseph Mourinho came out with all of his coaching staff, but the under 21s coach and all his coaching staff took the session. We just joined in with the 21s team, did their entire session. It was bizarre. It really, really was bizarre. And that was the realization. Wow. This is what, the guys do and they're not, you know, and at Chelsea, you know, you know, you're talking about, I mean, that, that's an extreme example. That's like probably Man City, Liverpool, yeah. you know, all the big, 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 big clubs, you know, there is no one left. There is like, there's like two people left. That's it. So no wonder you guys follow each other on Instagram. You get to know each other oh. so much. And then- oh, mate, it, was, it was bizarre. I, I remember, I remember JT, like we're talking, like, I got him. How in, I didn't even realize that with that many people gone, he went, Yeah, he goes, Yeah, I know, because it's a nightmare, isn't it? And it's like, it's, it's weird. And then what else do you do? Because in my head, you go, Okay, well, then if there's only two, two left, do you then sort of go, Well, okay, that's a good opportunity to just focus on these two players? So you might go, go away with the goalkeeping coach, and JT will go, You know, no, but we with go with the 21s, we go with the 21s. So the goalkeeper so just coach totally will... get on their, yeah, you, 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 you join their squad. Right. So obviously you use the change rooms and everything, your own change rooms, and then you just meet on a, on a pitch, right? We're training on the first team training ground pitch. So the 21s would come across and you'd train on, on that pitch. And, and then we, we would do the normal set. I mean, the goalkeeping coach was there anyway. So yeah. I would work with the goal. Actually saying that I would work with the other 21s goalkeeping coach. So he would bring their, all their goalkeepers over and we would do a session in the, in the first team area. And, um, and JT would do all the warm-up session, do the normal pre-session with the 21s until such time as we've maybe played a small-sided game or a full-sided pitch game, whatever. Mark, uh, let's wind things up. Jeez, oh, that was good by me. I actually didn't mean to do that. I mispronunciated wind, but I said wine. So I'm going to stick to it. Let's wind things up. How have you enjoyed your Italian red today? Yeah, it's been very nice. Um, again, the word that sticks out to me is voluptuous, yep. intense. And it's been pretty much like our conversation today, pretty intense. Yeah. Um, it's been pretty full on. It has, hasn't it? In, at yeah. moments, for moments, yeah. definitely. So this is, this is, you know, this is like, this is this category of the, the you know, the, the Riojas in Spain, quite, quite full, quite uh, like a Bordeaux, quite heavy. Um, hence the reason why you'd have it with that uh, hardy stew, uh, those roasted red meats. And um, no, I, I, again, I'm easily pleased, mate. I, I would recommend it. It's a nice drop of wine. Do you remember that we did a wine once um, that was recommended with a hearty stew and I compared the player who played next to, I think, possibly a defender and their defending partner was Stuart someone. And I thought it was, he was a hearty stew. That was well, pretty and, good. And maybe there's been a time when you've been thinking to your, contemplating to yourself, geez, he's been harsh with me, with my... <laughs> with my explanations, my comparisons with a player and a wine. And you've just, re- you've just confirmed again why I would give you so much stick. Yeah, well, it makes me nervous about the one that I've gone for. So, uh, look, do you want to go first or shall I? No, no, you, you go, choose. mate. You, you set yourself okay. up. Go, go for it. I'd love well, to see you squirm. I've gone for a Barolo, uh, which is arguably Italy's most famous red wine made from the Nebbiolo grape uh, in the Piemonte region, which, as we've discussed, is sort of on the outer of Turin, uh, hence wine FIFA at the moment. Juventus is known as Piemonte. Uh, it's, it has a distinctive um, paleness in its colour, which is obviously quite strange for a red, but, you know, in terms of if you were to compare it, to a heavier red, uh, it's quite pale. It's got a distinctive and natural partner for red meat. So pretty much like yours, but less stewy, more 
um, just to, uh, I'm assuming a nice steak, for example. Uh, firm, very firm, with a dry, long, savoury finish. And savoury was an odd one. You know, it was savoury. I, mean, I suppose they're just the opposite of sweet. Um, but this wine, now, you, this one you really like, and it's, the, it's sort of the catalyst as to why I'm going for the player. It says that this wine matches perfectly with a Scottish ribeye. I mean, is there a difference between a Scottish ribeye and, say, an Australian ribeye? What, what would the difference be, do you think? Well, I'd I, I say it would to do, relate to the, a Scottish breed of cow. Yeah, I guess so. There cow you go. Type, but... type, of, type of, yeah, beef from Scotland. So, uh, which is perfect because, uh, so the, my, my player, uh, very firm uh, in terms of firm finish. He didn't score a whole stack of goals, but sort of looking back to his highlights, his finishes were firm, um, but he's a very firm and strong human being, uh, particularly more so, um, I mean, I don't remember, t- I-, I wasn't born for a lot of the time that he was playing, but certainly in his punditry uh, can be very, very, very firm. Uh, spent a lot of time at Sampdoria, which is just kind of in between another region and, and Piemonte. So it's quite close to where, uh, this region's from. He's very pale. Uh, he's a pale man, uh, and it, and there's a reason why, because he uh, he's Scottish, uh, and this wine goes perfectly with the, with the Scottish ribeye. Uh, so, can you think of anyone who is firm, pretty pale, and Scottish from that region, or has at least played in that region? Are you yeah. saying he played for Sampdoria? Yep. Scottish player play for Sampdoria and he does his commentary now. Punditry, yep. It's not Graham Soonis, is it? <laughs> there you go. It is. <laughs> There's not been a, a gigantic list of Scottish players to, to grace not only just Syria but that specific region. Uh, so yeah. I was pretty pleased with myself that, that, that he uh, popped up. Yeah, that's, that's not bad from you, mate. Do you like that, it? That, yeah, that, yeah. That, 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 yeah, that works. That a works. I'll give you art. Yeah, I don't know. It's just when I said the Hardy Stew story, I was thinking, oh, this might fall on its face. But um, I'm, I'm pleased with it in the end. Right. Uh, with that in mind, wow, <laughs> I haven't got much to really beat, let's be honest. Um, okay, I, I'm going to go along the same lines in terms of, well, no, I'm not really. Because it's an Italian them. wine. Okay. It's a Christian patat, uh, a passimento, um, a nice drop of wine. Really enjoyed it. It is obviously voluptuous and intense. Um, and it speaks of the beautiful sunshine, Italian sunshine, and pairs perfectly with hearty stews and roasted red beef meat. Sorry, and and this is the thing, right? So there's a player that I played with. He was at times he would be renowned to coming back from preseason a little bit voluptuous, a little bit overweight, mm-hmm. um, not not quite to you know the extent that you're at. Holly, sure. but but you know um, within context of, yeah yeah within context yeah. he signed for Middlesbrough um uh pretty much I think I mean he wasn't our second ever Italian striker uh, so I think he may have been our second no he probably was he our second striker no he wasn't our second Italian striker but he he wanted to try and fill the void or or at least take up the mantle of being the next um Fabrizio Ravinelli he was I think at the time it was a record signing uh, yep. we, and he was playing for, in a Syria B team. He scored a, a couple of goals against England under 21. So he was being touted around as being the next best thing and um, supposed to be a player that was going to go on to, to become a full-on international for Italy. And uh, supposedly we beat uh, a number of massive clubs in Italy for his signature. Hence the reason why I think at the time our, uh, the, the, C, uh, the sports director or CEO at uh, at, uh, at Middlesbrough paid quite significant amounts of money for him. Lovely, lovely guy. Played a year in Australia for Brisbane Raw. Striker. Scored incredibly important goals for Middlesbrough back in the season of 2005-2006 when we got to the UEFA, UEFA Cup final. Scored in the two massive, massive fixtures. One against Basel and the other against Stal Bucharest. The winning goals in each of those games to help us progress to each next stage. Um, and uh, he's someone that uh, I felt for him because he took a lot of pressure on him, didn't end up scoring as many goals as he'd hoped and probably thought he would, Um, but someone that uh, I think always had a – 
when you got to know him, he had a nice, really nice smile on his face. And he, he was this, this, he was a ray of hope that Middlesbrough had signed him to bring sunshine to back to the good days, back to Middlesbrough. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't quite work out that way, other than that season in the UEFA Cup. And it's none other than Massimo Macaroni. Oh, of course. His time at Brisbane. Yeah. Yes. That was, that so you, was, you so threw me off there. You, I about to say, so that stage you didn't yeah. know who it was. There was a couple of players, but yeah, it really threw me off. But uh, yeah, good. And, and sort of turn, do you think coming back into preseason as a bit of a hardy stew? He did, yes, come back really? uh, a little bit like he's had too many uh, pots of stew and too many glasses of red wine. Mark, take it away with the outro. Yeah, so it's been another, well, action-packed episode uh, of the Two Sharp Reds. Obviously, we had a lot to talk about. VAR has popped its head back into the, into the discussion, something that we'll try and avoid more in the future, not too often bring that back in, even though um, you have created a new segment where you've said that you've hired someone which you actually now have confirmed, Donald Trump, that you weren't quite telling oh. the truth. Um, so, yeah, and with that in mind, I really much look forward to next week's episode and to see um, where it's going to take us. Yep. And, uh, well, there'll definitely be no VAR in the discussion next week as there's no Premier League fixtures to be spoken about. But hopefully we'll have a, a, a special guest on and we'll be able to get into a lot of nitty-gritties of various aspects of football and maybe a different league um, in this part of the world to talk about as well. Brilliant. Well, cheers, Mark. We'll see you then. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.